right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 128. It is Tuesday night in the off season. We've been doing some abbreviated shows to kind of keep things up and give you all an opportunity to share your thoughts on college football this week and every week here in the off season. My name's Bob Akhairi. Thanks for joining. If you'd like to join in and give your input, Love to hear from you. You can always hit request. It's in the lower left corner of the Twitter app, um, which you can use to join in and share your thoughts. Otherwise, happy to sit back and talk a little bit about what's going on in college football right now, especially since we have the opportunity to see what's going on on our CFB, which is, of course, one of those centers for college football talk on the Internet. And um, let's see. One of the stories that's been kind of interesting um, that came out actually today is talking about Tennessee. Uh, they've unfortunately had some coaches and administrators in the past regime that committed NCAA violations. So the NCAA gave an update, just letting it know that they've come to an agreement with the NCAA enforcement staff. To an extent, as much as it is derided, it is a little bit milder now after the the troubles that, that some people have criticized that the Committee on Infractions have been a little bit too aggressive, especially in the uh, about a decade ago. But now they, they've been trying to work more with the programs to come with some sort of agreement. I know Miami was in the news recently because, of course, the, uh, the twins on the women's basketball team were given an impermissible benefit when they got to meet John Ruiz, the super booster at Miami. In the end, the uh, NCAA did not levy that severe of infractions. I mean, he was not, Ruiz was not forced to disassociate from the program. All he had to do was get like some refresher course with uh, the Miami athletic department. The players weren't punished. And I believe they've just been issued some mild probationary things involving recruiting for the Miami women's basketball program. But overall, so far, the NCAA has not been punishing people as severely as they have in the past. Again, if you'd like to join in on any kind of topic, please feel free to join and hit request in the lower left corner. Be happy to let you up. So moving on, one of the other big topics that was really popular, I mean, the most popular topic on our CFB this week was oddly enough, Texas football's uniforms, because Longhorns athletic director Chris Del Conte said that Longhorns simply will not have alternate uniforms. And that's, of course, been one of the big traditions for Texas. If God wanted multicolored sunsets, he'd have made them purple and green, but he didn't. This is him, of course, talking. They're burnt orange. It's not old. It's not stuffy. It's Texas. It's the best. Now, that quote was, you know, it was cute, and I'm sure it was popular with, of course, the Texas faithful. Some folks were quick to point out that sunsets are famously multicolored. Um, some are quite beautiful and some are purple and i certainly see a few here out here in minnesota when winter comes along but you know texas tradition i i like their old-fashioned uniforms i mean you could say the same thing about usc or penn state um alabama they're not really teams to rush into alternates of course some programs are excellent at them i mean Oregon really went from being a rather mundane uniform, if you've ever seen what the uniforms there looked like in the 80s, to what they are now. But again, um, that's just one of those topics that was striking that that was the most popular topic on RCFB. 
this week in college football. Again, if there's any topic you'd like to join in on, just please feel free to hit request. We'd love to have you join me in and hear what your thoughts are. You know, one of the more interesting ongoing sagas, and this is one I wanted to talk about this week, is watching what's happening with the ACC. Started about four days ago, Florida State fired a warning shot to the ACC, as was reported in the Tampa Bay Times, that something has to change. Now, what that was kind of fleshed out over the following days. Dennis Dodd over at CBS has been pretty good about reporting about what's been going on, at least in this initial wave of ACC news. The Florida State athletic director has basically drawn a line in the stand, according to Dennis Dodd, telling the ACC it has to institute an uneven revenue distribution model or Florida State is supposedly, and we'll get to that in a second, supposedly going to bolt. Now, the again, uh, kind of again, Dennis was reporting quite rel- uh, frequently on this. He, he shared one of the slides that showed the television, probably the TV contracts to the FSU Board of Trustees in the presentation, as summarized by uh, Redditor Mike in San Francisco, Los Angeles. The ACC was so far paying its teams per year about $17 million in the they're known for having a rather long TV contract right now that will extend for 12 more years. At this point, the Big 12 is paying out its teams 37 point, 31.7 million per team per year for six more years. The Pac-12, which of course has its poor revenue contract, is what seems to have driven, well, what was certainly the primary reason longtime members USC and UCLA are bolting for the Big 10. It's been paying its members $20 million per team per year for the next year. And obviously that's the big issue. And we'll talk about that a little later. They're going to be, they're still in the process of trying to renegotiate the PAC 12 media deal, knowing that USC and UCLA are leaving. But then the big two that are left, the SEC is currently paying out its teams $51 million per team per year for 10 more years. And then the big 10, under its new contract, when you assemble all of those payments together, appears to be paying its team $67 million a year per team per year for seven more years. And, of course, all of those numbers could be renegotiated. But the ACC currently is on the lower end of the scale, and that is quite annoying to the Seminoles because, as is pointed out in some of the later writings, uh, they are wanting an uneven distribution model. Basically, what Texas has historically had with the Big 12, of course, that uneven revenue model is what sort of drove a lot of animosity within the conference, particularly towards the Longhorns, and may have arguably left uh, led to their, their uh, departure. In fact, that uneven revenue model with the Big 10, probably with the Big 12, the Longhorn Network, and how um, funds are distributed – is what put the kibosh gosh over 10 years ago when there was that brief moment where Texas and Oklahoma, as well as potentially uh, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, were looking to bolt to the Pac-12. That, of course, never went through, but one of the big stumbling blocks that was mentioned in all the reporting that went on at the time was trying to appease Texas with that uneven revenue model that they had put together with the Big 12 in order to keep them in the conference. Again, if you'd like to join any of this or any other topic, you can always hit request. Just please feel free. I'd be happy to let you up and talk college football. But going in, kind of looking at some of these other reports that have been coming out this week, again, Dennis Dodd has been pretty upfront about this on Twitter. The Florida State General Counsel 
apparently reporting to their board of regents or board of trustees, has put about a $120 million price tag on buying themselves out of the ACC. Now, whether or not they're willing to do that, of course, is an entirely different question. Now, there's been some pushback from the ACC, at least indirectly. Um, Florida State and Clemson are allegedly to have zero leverage or $350 million laying around. Um, there's a lot of certainly uh, some griping going backwards and back and forth between those programs and the ACC over the future of, of, of how that would work. Florida State's athletic director, Mike Alford, has pointed out that the school contributes roughly 15% of the value of the ACC's media rights, but only receives 7% of the distributions. And again, that is why they are considering that $120 million departure fee that they have calculated, of course. Some of this stuff ends up in courts. Sometimes there's negotiated settlements. We've seen that happen with all kinds of matters in the conference carousel. Another more recent report is one thing to remember, and this is again reporting from Dennis Dodd, one thing to remember about Florida State and Clemson's saber-rattling, it's one thing to get out of the ACC deal. It's another to assume Fox and ESPN are going to rip up their current deals to pay them more in another conference. Those networks love certainty. So that whole brouhaha over the last several days between Florida State and to a lesser extent Clemson with the ACC has been one of those topics that will certainly generate more headlines over the next week. It's been interesting to see. And and a lot of folks have been wondering on the sideline. I mean, the ACC has that famous grant of rights arrangement where the buyout is tremendous for its programs were they to leave. And that's why in the latest last summer round of, re of uh, realignment talks with the Big 12, of course, bringing in the teams they're bringing in, as well as the because to replace the departure, of course, of Texas and Oklahoma, as well as the Pac-12 losing the big uh, uh, USC and UCLA to the Big 10. The one conference that seemed the most stable was the ACC because of that grant of rights deal, because it costs those teams so much to leave. But now, this week, Florida State is starting to fire some of those warning shots that say they might be willing to do and take drastic measures to potentially depart from the conference. Now, where they would end up, it seems like the ACC, probably the SEC would be a natural fit because, of course, Florida's there and there's some good football to be played among them all. Um, I'm not sure the Big Ten would necessarily be willing to deal for them. Of course, they're such a major brand, I would be shocked. If they wouldn't, if Florida State told the Big Ten after getting out of it, we'd like to join you, I'd be shocked if they didn't look twice at them because, I mean, the Knowles are a national brand and they bring in a lot of significance across the Sunshine State and, and beyond. Um, but kind of transitioning, again, from conference talk on the big, probably on the uh, ACC, the other saga is, of course, the Pac-12 because they are absolutely trying to save that media deal that they are, you know, that is no longer going to have USC or UCLA present. Um, one thing that was pointed out, and this is by Chris Manini of The Athletic, streaming is not going to save college football as we know it because it's not saving TV. And that's relevant to the Pac-12 because it seems like they're having problems with the so-called linear uh, options, the, the normal TV, the normal cable networks, and they're getting a lot of overtures from streaming. Now, as nice as streaming is, allows you to go watch whatever show you want at night. If it's on, you know, any of the options, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Apple TV. Um, it's not a place you go to to kind of randomly find 
a TV show or randomly find and, and look for things quite as often as it was on cable. And the concern is, especially for college sports, college football, if somebody's not really into watching the Pac-12, unless it's an extremely important game, the odds of them deciding to fire up Apple TV to or whatever streaming option to follow the Pac-12 may not work in their favor. Um, again, without Dennis, as Dennis Dodd points out, without UCLA and USC, it's really hard to see what the Pac-12 is actually actually selling, especially as it seems like Oregon and Washington are not entirely interested in staying in the conference. You know, later, about four days ago, we had a report from Brett McMurphy that Apple has still not made a formal offer for the Pac-12's media rights. And then there was this rumor that Ion Television had emerged as a potential Pac-12 partner. Of course, later on, we heard that Ion Script Sports is not involved in Pac-12's TV negotiations, and that was later reported by Stuart Mandel at The Athletic. One thing I got to say, some of this reporting, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes the media is good at finding information, and I respect that, but sometimes things happen secretly. We can all remember how shocking it was to find the Big Ten had already poached USC and UCLA, and the writing was already on the wall. So again, sometimes things do get missed. The bigger the story, though, the bigger the number of people. Typically, rumors do get um, rumors with a kernel of salt do get out there. I mean, we see that in the recruiting world all the time. But this, some of this stuff I would take with a grain of salt. You know, um, one of the other reports that came out, and this is, again, from Hayes, sources do insist that the Big Ten is not finished rating the Pac-12. That would really seem to point to only a handful of teams, whether that be Oregon or Washington or potentially a team from the Bay Area. The Bay Area keeps coming up not because Stanford and Cal are exceptional um, national brands in the same level as you might get from USC football or UCLA basketball, but simply because of the sheer number of televisions in the Bay Area are are a significant number when you when you added them all up with the of course San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, that entire market. That is something that does outgun Seattle a little bit and certainly Portland, and that's one of those reasons why the Bay Area will sometimes come up. Although when it comes down to athletic prowess. Washington and Oregon at this point certainly are the ascendant programs. I mean, Cal is struggling athletically, financially, and they have for a long time because of some really bad decisions they made when they were renovating Memorial Stadium and then deciding to throw in a bunch of facilities in the process. Every program needs those to compete. Cal really made some optimistic estimations. It was actually fascinating. I remember when they were starting to release that information, they thought they were able to sell, you know, seat licenses like you can at a program like Alabama or Florida State or even USC or or Michigan. And Cal has never had that kind of following. So as of this, I remember the latest numbers are Cal's university, the University of UC Berkeley, the central campus is still giving the athletic department $31 million this last academic year to help pay off the debts that they have accrued to help the program stay in the black. So that's one of the reasons why Cal would certainly love to join the Big 12, probably the Big 10, but uh, they're not an attractive program for a lot of reasons and that they've been struggling for so much where Washington and Oregon have been more well-funded, more committed to running a program that might be able to compete in the Big 10. And Stanford certainly has... Um, the wherewithal to do it should they choose to. Again, if you'd like to join any of this, add any of your thoughts to what's going on in college football this week. 
please feel free to hit request. We'd love to have you join me and, and love to hear your thoughts in any area of college football. Continuing kind of along with this Pac-12 story that has been going on this week, one of the other reports is that Amazon's Pac-12 interest is primarily in streaming a Friday night game. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with kind of piecemeal assembling um, a media deal. Certainly, that's part of what the has given the Big Ten such a tremendous uh, uh, payout for its programs. I mean, it's split between NBC, CBS, and Fox. And when you add all of those programs, pardon me, all of those TV deals together, it's it's what's giving the Big Ten programs the big payouts that they're going that are currently going to be leading the college football um, the college football uh, universe at this point. But this this weird the, some of these options that are appearing for the Pac-12 are a little bit dicey, and, and definitely one of the things that ESPN has said to, ESPN still said to have interest in broadcasting a weekly Pac-12 game at the super late 10.30 Eastern spot on Saturday, so good old Pac-12 after dark, as well as broadcasting the Pac-12 championship game. But the problem is trying to assemble some kind of media system for the the rest of the Pac-12's football games. You know, kind of adding to all of this animosity within the conference, obviously with the LA LA teams leaving, Los Angeles had previously been for many years the home of the Pac-12 Media Day. And just yesterday, the Pac-12 football, uh, Pac-12 announced football media, media day is going to be moved from Los Angeles to Las Vegas this year. And first of all, I mean, I think that's awesome. I mean, I would rather be in Vegas for any media day. Uh, the Mountain West historically has done their media day in Vegas for many years now. And it's an enjoyable place to go. You can easily host it in one hotel. It's not a problem. You get to go to Vegas. You get to see the players have a nice time. Obviously, they're not necessarily gambling, but they give them stuff to do. Usually, they take them to Top Golf, some other kind of fun venue. So, Pac-12 moving over there. It'll be interesting to see what conference, what, what you know, what hotel they pick, what how the arrangement's going to be. It helps they're already having the conference championship there at Allegiant Field. So, there's benefits to all of it. Um, but certainly, it is notable that now that the LA teams are gone, they're going to not be hosting the media days down there. If you want to join in at any point, if you'd like to talk about anything in college football, feel free to hit request. Would love to have you join me up here. Again, this is RCFB Talk 128. It's the off season. We're kind of looking at some of the stories going on. We've been talking about how. There's been some hiccups at the ACC with FSU and Clemson threatening to leave. At the very beginning, we talked about, oh, it looks like Tennessee might have a little bit of trouble with the NCAA. They've uh, announced that they're in the middle of the Conference of Infractions has been talking about, has announced that they're going to have a formal decision at a later date. My immediate follow-up to that is to note that the NCAA has been milder overall in the last several years. I mean, again, I'm... Some people were thrilled to see Miami get sanctioned for uh, a name image likeness related uh, issue with their super mega booster, John Ruiz, and the twins that play on the women's basketball team. But it amounted to a very light slap on the wrist. Um, the Ruiz was not forced to disassociate from the program. It was very mild probation on the program, and the players themselves were not punished, which is one of those positives. One of the things um, in some of the reporting on where the NCAA is going, and, and Nicole Auerbach actually had a good article in The Athletic about this, they're trying not to punish student-athletes quite as much, um, as much as going after the programs, which I'm glad because especially in this weird shift we are 
where with NIL giving players opportunity to finally earn something for their name, image, likeness in sports where typically they hadn't at all. I mean, we're just now talking about Miami basketball, but also the the, the real, you know, the, the money makers for the programs in football and in men's basketball. This has been a great opportunity for them, and, and it's going to be tricky for the NCAA to step in. One thing I wanted to add, and I see facts up here, so I want to hear from him, but Professor Michael McCann, who's been a guest of ours, both on RCFB with AMAs, as well as a guest of ours when we've had guests here on Twitter Spaces, and that's on us. We're just, we've just been a little lazy on scheduling guests. But he had a good article in Sportico that came out last night that pointed out that the NCAA knows that they are risking a major lawsuit if they go too far with some of these mega boosters that are doing otherwise legitimate NIL arrangements. I mean, the whole situation with Ruiz was silly. It ends up that they, it was two days too early to have a dinner um, at his house and that dinner, which he tweeted, that's the best part. They weren't even trying to hide it. He tweeted a photo of the players at his house saying we're enjoying a dinner. It ends up they were off by two days. So that was an NCAA violation. So, a lot of these folks who could get into it with the NCAA, if they're not careful, it could turn into another one of those lawsuits that uh, ends up being a giant L for the association. But before we go on, Thak, what's up? It's great to great to see you. How are you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful, fellas. Listen, <clears throat> it is just under 179 days until week zero of the college football season, and I am feeling fantastic. You don't want to know why I'm feeling fantastic? Absolutely. Well, it's because I'm actually not feeling fantastic. How is Mizzou football in these Tennessee violations? How bad, <laughs> how long do you think Mizzou football will get a postseason bowl ban? Yes. And, and for those, I mean, a lot of the folks who are here in the offseason know what this is going at. But that's the classic problem. Mizzou always gets the hammer when any any team, the lighter the, the, lighter the punishment for any other program, typically means Mizzou is going to get absolutely obliterated. It, they are the the low to every high. To every. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I am hesitant to say I'm wondering if the NCAA is going to be milder now and, and whether or not they are truly trying to not be what they were to Mizzou and, and to USC and to some of these programs as they were about a little over a decade ago. But um, yeah, can we get can we get reparations then? In that case, I mean, <laughs> listen, Tennessee. As much as uh, it pains me to see the NCAA overreaching and something silly, because I was there uh, at one point. And if anybody here is not familiar with the situation, there was a rogue tutor um, who, uh, if you looked at her Twitter feed, she was a total nutball man. I mean, she was talking about conspiracy theories and. Uh, you could tell something went, went right with her when you looked at her Twitter feed, and uh, she uh, she uh, aided in some academic violations allegedly, and we were uh, we had a postseason ban. Uh, but I mean, here's the thing: as much as it, it as much as uh, I feel for those Tennessee fans, because uh, it's not fun. It's like it's something a little ridiculous. But here's the thing: they had money McDonald bags, man. And we're gonna get we're gonna get a postseason bull band and they get off scot free. It would be hilarious to go on the Vol Nation message board after uh, after a potential postseason ban. You've got uh, Mixon coming back. That I mean, he's obviously a stud. Um, 
whichever way you put it, that that quarterback that they got coming up is a stud. It would be hilarious to read the Tennessee message boards if they got a postseason bowl ban for this. And that is why uh, I wish the death penalty uh, among (laughs) them. Seriously. Well, I'm hoping not. But it's awkward, too, because this is all stuff from Pruitt's era. This isn't this isn't the current regime at at Tennessee. And that's that's what's the big pain in all of this. When when a team usually gets hit with sanctions, all the people that were involved are typically not even there. And uh, and the players aren't there and the tutor isn't there. And all of the folks, you know, and, uh, you know, it's interesting kind of going to this, how I've talked a little bit about how the uh, committee on infractions, the uh, the infamous, you know, jury and executioner for the NCA, they're supposedly different. Now they're trying to be different. Again, I just wanted to look back at that article hour back just uh, put out on the athletic, the chair, the current chair of the NCA's committee on infractions. Dave Roberts is actually a USC. He's an, an assistant to the athletic director at USC. And they quoted him as saying, I came on board right after USC got clobbered in 2010. And I didn't particularly like that decision. But at the same time, we need to change some things. And, and this group was very, very aggressive, but it changed the behavior. So we don't think the infractions process is perfect. Nothing's perfect, right? We're very amenable to change according to what the association and membership wants to do. Now, again, the only reason I'm thinking it might be mild is because of that Miami situation that just came out. It wasn't very serious, the punishment. You know, it was the first time a real big NIL deal. I think they picked that one because it's a higher profile, because uh, it was the Cavender twins. They're high profile. They've got a million-dollar NIL deal between them. They transferred to Miami, I mean, because of the desire to earn even more money after being over at Fresno State. So, I mean, they're a higher profile in terms of the NIL world, and I think that's why they were picked for this particular cause of action. But again, they didn't they didn't punish the players. The players haven't had to do anything. The coach, I believe, had to miss three games, and that's kind of how it came up because the coach missed the three games and some folks did some investigation into it, and it turns out it was part of their arrangement, their negotiated settlement with the NCAA. And Ruiz apparently just has to sit down and have, I think it was like a deputy athletic director, has to now give him instructions on how things are supposed to work. I mean, I'm wondering how that conversation <laughs> even goes. Is that literally like he has him over to his office, you know, has his private chef that he apparently, uh, you know, when they had the the students over, you know, to, to wow them with their mom and dad, you know, uh, <laughs> is, is, is this deputy athletic director going to go in like, oh, hey, John, hello, you know, and they just sort of quickly go over some slides and, and enjoy, you know, a poached lobster or something. I'm not sure, but... uh you know, if you can live that life, bless you. You know, that's all I yep. got to say. I'm, there's no there's no insult coming from me there. But well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why here. This is a, a massive, massive ruling in uh, in terms this Tennessee, specifically the Tennessee ruling is going to be a, have massive implications, because if if it is something very serious. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot more, you know, if it is something that they, they come down and they say, you know what, here's a slap on the wrist. Uh, it, it's going to change uh, the way that schools self-report. I think we're going to see an, a definite increase in self-reports of, uh, of minor violations. Because uh, after the Mizzou thing, I mean, you were a moron to self-report anything. And that was yeah. sort of the initial, that was the initial thought i had when this tennessee stuff came out a while ago is what what are they doing 
you know, I, I think this is, I, I think this is a big, uh, a, a big, like this decision will have a big impact on, on whether schools will self-report violations in the future. And I, I think there's going to be more violations yeah. in the future that they might have to self-report with this NIL stuff. And you Oh, know. absolutely. The NIL is such a wild west right now that again, going back to the Miami thing, I don't think, I genuinely don't think they realized they did it. You don't tweet a picture out with the players at your house saying you just had a dinner with them. Only to know you violated the NCAA rules in the process. You know, I, right. Especially it, when it, you have these donors too, that you really, you really have almost, you know, it was pre NIL. You had a little, the co the administration at least had some sort of control through weird back channels, but now it's, you know, it's the wild west. They don't, the, the boosters don't care. They're going to do whatever they want and not necessarily now, but they're, they're allowed to do it in the open. And I think, you know, with this kind of stuff, you're going to have to see more self-reporting in terms of, you know, hey, this wasn't even us. This was just some booster. You know, one thing to note when we're talking about NCAA in terms of enforcement actions and potential violations, the big change that happened um, on January 1st, and it's something where from the reporting, it sounds like a lot of university presidents didn't even realize this was coming through because it was kind of buried in the bigger um, update to how they were regarding the NIL and all of that stuff is the presumed guilt ag angle, which obviously is totally out of whack with how our justice system works. But obviously, this is this isn't let's I mean let's be honest, this isn't criminal stuff. This isn't um, this isn't you know anything like that. This is a voluntary association. Now, some could argue it is. Uh, and certainly courts have been amenable to the fact that it is uh, a little bit more than just a voluntary association. It can be uh, forced to regulate itself in certain manners. But this presumed guilt angle where if the NCAA gets what they deem to be credible information, not even just from the university, it could be from anywhere, which who knows how that'll go if uh, some of these uh, more organized um, – uh, message boards decide to take advantage of this, but they will they will now force the university to basically prove that they're not guilty. And this has been a radical shift in in how enforcement will work. So I'm wondering, I mean, the NSA is going to have to be really careful with how they use it, but it could it could pop up this season in a way that that a lot of people would not expect, particularly when we're talking potential NIL violations. But I think to an extent the you need something almost as mechanical as what happened in Miami, where, okay, they accidentally hosted the students two days early. Uh, the guy tweeted the exact day it happened. The coach admitted they made a mistake. You know, that that was a little bit more easy to do. But some of this more, you know, blurry stuff, because a lot of this, a lot of these arrangements are kind of being still developed on the fly. And now as the year and a half or so has developed, we've seen, you know, approaches, to to nil collectives and and how they can somewhat associate with universities but at the same time not cross the line and we're seeing states change the rules obviously miami probably not miami florida the state of florida loosened up their their own state restrictions to match those of the other states i mean we're still kind of seeing things coalesce into some kind of a format but i think the nsa is a little afraid to jump into it too far because it's you know, at the rate that at the rate things are changing, they could start a, a cause of action on some of these things, or or start an investigation. And by the time they even get to it, all the rules have changed, or or perhaps were interpreted differently. So, it's been a real curious situation, and and we'll see how all of that works out. 
You know, um, this is an off-season RCFB talk. So we've been doing these for about 30 minutes, and we like keeping them pretty trim and short in the off-season. So, Thak, it was great hearing from you, man. Thanks for coming up. Yep, no, no problem. I want to see that as much as it would, uh, it, it would negatively affect college football as a whole, the uh, orange tiers would be fantastic if there was well. a... <laughs> I don't know. If I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I want to see Tennessee. Tennessee was such a fun, exciting team this year. I wouldn't mind seeing more of them at this oh, point. I, uh, I, and I totally agree. I just can't stand the damn orange. <laughs> I can't stand okay. the Bulls. All right. Fans, They're terrible. Um, <laughs> Go Tigers. M-I-Z. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and I just want to say again, one story that I'm going to be looking forward to reading as we go into the rest of this week, um, heading into next, is seeing where this ACC stuff is headed. How much smoke is coming from Florida State and to a lesser extent Clemson? Are they willing to pay what they calculate to be $120 million to get out of the conference? Or are they just trying to force the ACC into something like the Big 12 used to do, where it was an uneven revenue distribution model, where, as they're claiming, again, they're bringing in, what is it, 12 to 15% of the revenue to the ACC, and they want to get a bigger chunk than what they've been getting, which is 7%. Is it worth it? Will they have a home if they leave? Almost certainly. But uh, we'll see where that story is going. That is one of the more exciting ones, especially in the kind of the off-season conference talk, as well as how that Pac-12 media... T- uh, Media deal is going to shape out what channels are going to be on, what streaming networks are going to be on simultaneously, whether or not the Big Ten is going to poach anyone else from the Pac-12. And one of the more interesting stories I read actually just today is Brett McMurphy on the Solid Verbal Podcast said the Big 12 itself is secure as a conference because it doesn't seem like anyone really wants the members that are left in the Big 12. So <laughs> I guess that's uh, that's an interesting, positive situation to be in, but on behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, I just wanted to thank all of you for joining me this evening as we have another off-season RCFB talk. We do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. Have a great week, everybody. Now I'm a hang up and listen.